Welcome into part two of our No DQ and A here on AWA Unleashed, the self-proclaimed number one podcast and video stream dedicated to the American Wrestling Association. Just a podcast, just a video, nothing more. That being said, uh, we've got a lot of stuff to get into. Let's uh, go ahead. And I just wanted to clarify for the kids out there, we are what they would call a Piazad Kiazast. Okay. Did I did I say that right, Mick? You did. It's better than the Dickman. <laughs> well, next time, don't write it phonetically then. Okay. God, don't blame it on me for I'm just reading I'm reading what was on the script, okay? Put the don't heat on a, me. Put the heat on me. Go ahead. Man, don't be don't be a dickman because I said dickman. Okay. <laughs> Wow, jeez. Children. Change my hat here. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, you did change it. Very nice. Well, well, what happened was I tried changing my, my shirt, and by the time it peeled off of me <laughs> and I got it past the girth, it sprung across the room, hit the dog in the eye, and I had to run him to the vet. <laughs> so I figured I just... <laughs> And I'll leave it on and, and change the hat. It's like a human version of mousetrap going on over at your place. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, no, like one of those, those old cartoon, you know, voice gimmicks. No, it, it was not, not a good thing. Uh, hey, guys. Hey. Hi, Nick. Hi, Chris. Hey, Joe. Uh, listen, we're just wanting to have a good time here. There's too much serious stuff going on in life. Are we just a podcast, by the way? Are we We're doing just a podcast, okay. just a video stream. We're not trying to start up the AWA again? No, no. Oh, I just wanted I, to clarify that. Just clarification. This has nothing to do with an actual promotion. The only thing we are promoting is ourselves, okay? So, uh, and by the way, it's you can check out. To, by himself. What's that? Mick's used to doing stuff by himself, usually in a dark corner of the room, but, you know. No, as a matter of fact, I turn the lights on. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's why the cops have been called several times. Can we get on with the show, please? Sure. Yeah, because I, I could keep going back to the Dickman, but I'm going to stop. Um, want to thank uh, Soda Stick, first of all, uh, for uh, their sponsorship. You guys, we're coming up on Christmas. I think we're just like a couple weeks out. Um if you're looking for something for, you know, a wrestling fan in your family, uh, I'm going to put it right up there just to let you know. Uh, we've got personalized hoodies via Soda Stick. They are really high-quality stuff, you guys. Uh, you can get Minnesota sports stuff, but if you want it, AWA Unleashed, the, the black and white hoodie, the black and white T-shirt with your personalized name in there, uh, go to sodastickco.com. Uh, AWA Unleashed. Use the promo code Unleashed for 15% off. And if you're looking for food, there's no better place than 7th Avenue Pizza. If you're in, uh, if you're in the Twin Cities, check it out. Uh, I know that we're having, you know, I mean, they're selling like hotcakes, you guys, especially in the Eastern Metro. Uh, but I'm up here in the uh, the Northwestern Metro. Uh, I found it on a, a Cub. Is uh, some of the places that I found. I found it at High V. But if you want to go on their, their website, 7thAvenuePizza.com, they got a brand new breakfast pizza. Uh, they've got a, uh, a Lucky 7. They've got a pepperoni meatball. It is just really good, uh, really good fresh ingredients for a frozen pizza. All right. Um, also want to tell you as well, join our fan page if you wouldn't mind. 
Uh, we've got a fan page that's dedicated just to our podcast. Yes, Joe, uh, I'm with you. Uh, AWA Unleashed fans on Twitter, uh, on not, not on Twitter, on uh, Facebook, but you can follow us on Twitter at AWA Unleashed. All right, that is that Sid. Whose dog was uh, that? My dog. Oh, that was your dog. Okay, I don't have a dog. I have two cats, so I, I know that that wasn't coming from my. That's a, I thought you were throwing your voice. That was kind of kind of impressive. Uh, let's get back. Let's get back into the Q and a here guys. Uh, what? No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just I'm trying to get sure all my, the- my dog is all right. He's, you know, he's got a, he's got a, a fruit of the loom sticker in his eye. I want to make sure. You look good. Okay. All right, pal. All right, let's, let's go to some questions. What do you say? I was going to get into the question before you started talking about your dog and the fruit. Of the- oh, yeah, I'm taking it. Good. All right. Uh, this first one, you know what? I'm going to take this because I just want to, um, this is from Anita Sharmer. Uh, as a fan who's heard all the stories from your pod crew, can you share three guys in AWA history that you would have liked to have meet, uh, met the most? Um, that's a good question. Anita. There, there are so many over the years. Uh, I'm going to go and, and let me preface this by saying I did meet one of them at the very end, but it just it wasn't the same. Um, it just wasn't. Uh, I had a chance to meet Bobby the Brain Heenan um, a year or two before he passed. But at that point, he, you know, his bottom jaw was gone. The cancer had gotten the best of him. I do have a picture with me and Bobby Heenan flipping off the camera. Um, I That's one of my favorites. But uh, I, I just, I wish I would have had a chance to really talk and meet Bobby Heenan when he was the Bobby Heenan that we know. And Nick Bockwinkle, I, I hear so many stories about him, you guys, from, you know, especially you, Mick, being, uh, you know, uh, a close personal friend of him, uh, his over the years and just all the time that you spent together. And Joe, I mean, what you said last uh, last week about just coming into the production studio and kind of getting the take. He just seemed like he was just the most humble, nicest guy that you could possibly have, have hoped for. So I really, uh, I'm disappointed that I didn't get a chance to, to meet him. And also maybe the best uh, promo that I can ever remember in the AWA. I absolutely loved it. Uh, Mad Dog Vachon. I really wish I would have had a chance to, uh, to meet Mad Dog as well. Uh, but again, you know, I'm coming at it from a fan's angle, but uh, I guess those are the, uh, those are guys, I've heard nothing but good stories about all three of those. And at the end of the day, you want to surround yourself with good people and guys that they just seem like they were legitimately three really good individuals. Legendary doesn't even touch it. I mean, that's uh, the real deal. All three of them. And, you know, an argument could be made, you know, that, well, we talked about the Mount Rushmore, the AWA. They're, they're right up there. No question. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is for you, Joe. We're going to go into uh, uh, t- or I'm sorry. This is for you, Mick. Sorry about that. Um, this is from Francis from St. Francis. Love that, by the way. Uh, who was the TV job guy who was a mad dog Vachon clone? His name was Freddie Peliquin. And uh, Freddie was uh, lives up in Canada. And he would come down uh, every now and then uh, from the Winnipeg area, I believe, and appear on television for Vern. And there, you know, very similar in stature, beard, uh, body hair to Mad Dog Vachon. That body is, hair. 
Kind of where the similarities end. Uh, Freddie Pelican actually, when he worked up in Winnipeg, uh, he was billed as Frenchy Mad Dog, the French Mad Dog. And uh, again, his personality outside the ring, one of the nicest, most soft-spoken guys you would ever want to meet. And uh, love the puppy dog. Had an opportunity to work with him a couple of times. Uh, had some health issues not that long ago. But, uh, yeah, there, there's your guy. There's your, uh, you know, whatever they call it, doppelganger. Dick doppelganger, Mello. yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, whatever. That's uh, Freddie Pelican, the French Mad Dog. All right, Joe. Uh, this one might cut uh, a little deep here, but I I have to ask you. Actually, I'm not asking you. This is from Benjamin George. Don't you think it's time that you admit that you were the one behind the Team Challenge series? <laughs> I didn't say it. That's from. That's from a, a listener. Benjamin George, I've never met you. I will thank you for the question. And because of the question, I hope to never meet you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> in no way that I will take any of the blame for the team challenge series. Um, it was really uh, Greg Ganya. Uh, who developed it. And when he first approached me with the idea, I actually didn't think that it was a horrible idea. But, you know, as the old saying goes, hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, I had laser vision um, looking back on the, on the Team Challenge series, especially when we went and did matches inside of an empty studio at uh, at uh, WTCN 11 or CARE 11 at the time. Uh, you know, <laughs> as bad as the Team Challenge series was, it still wasn't the worst thing. Go back to last week, Whitewater still at the top of the all-time worst things that the AWA did. Team Challenge series, eh, it's going to be... It'll be in the Mount Rushmore of horseshit things that happened with the AWA. That much I can certainly say. I would no, say, uh, no, you know, I am not taking blame for it, Benjamin George. No, 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 and no. <laughs> that had your fingerprints all over it. Plus, let's not forget, ladies and gentlemen, that the AWA is the only promotion, as far as I know, in the history of wrestling that part of their tournament their team challenge series was a fried chicken eating contest at Popeye's Fried Chicken on Lake Street. You know, when when that's part of your competition, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think the end <laughs> is near. Well, the reason that even got thrown into the mix, a quick little side note, is that the Nigerian brothers, the Nigerian yes. family, owned that franchise or, or that store. And so... Really? Yeah, and what was yeah. great is on interview day, huh. they bring in just an absolute shit ton of food for all of the talent that, for everybody, that was doing interview day. That was the first time I had ever tasted Popeye's chicken, but it was the Nigerian boys that was, that led into wow. the team series. I had no idea the Nigerians were, were connected to that. I, isn't that interesting too? Because yeah, John Nigerian, a world-renowned surgeon, 
Yes. Actually, is feeding people fried chicken. Yeah. So he had the best of both worlds. We'll feed you, and then I'll perform the surgery. See, there you go. And I, I, I got to admit, I, I kind of liked the Team Challenge series. You did, huh? I, I did. Yeah, that was. I, I liked. I can't wait to do a whole show on it. Well, we will. Um, my favorite part of the Team Challenge series is when AWA legal counsel Bob Ryan. <laughs> got into the ring in Rochester, Minnesota, and tripped on the bottom rope strand, getting into the, rope, uh, getting into the ring with his uh, briefcase. Uh, that was a highlight for me. Yeah, we'll do a whole show on it. Oh, is, man. And, yeah. and along with a along with a whitewater watch-along, oh, man, we've got good stuff. Plus, well, bad. You guys like you're like gawkers when on, on the road when there's a really bad accident. You like to like slow down really. It's not stop completely to look at the disaster that's there, don't you? That's you're right. For punishment, I tell you. Oh, I want to find out all about it. All right, uh, this one is for you, Joe, from Liz Anthony. Who do you think was the more popular team, the High Flyers or the Midnight Rockers? Oh wow. Um. I'm going to say the Rockers for this reason only, because we were on ESPN, AWA Championship Wrestling on ESPN. And so the Rockers had a broader national display than what the High Flyers had. Um, it was just in the, the markets that the AWA was syndicated in. But Sean and Marty, um, there's no denying that they had a very faithful uh, fan base. And um, too often times that spilled back to the hotel rooms. Um, but, well, that's a whole other angle that we're not going to get into. Um, but they, um, Sean and Marty, definitely, uh, they were on top of their game. And I, I would say they were more popular overall than the high flyers because of the exposure that they had versus uh, Greg and Jim. Let's take a look at uh, Greg and Jim, who I would go with. So we got a little difference of opinion here. Uh, the Rockers, yeah, tremendously popular. But again, that was really kind of where they springboarded into their popularity was in the AWA but they weren't here all that long either, you know, and uh, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers certainly put them over uh, tremendously and got them uh, really going in the business. The High Flyers, I think, for longevity's sake and notoriety's sake and the fact that they held the championship on a couple of occasions and had the Bachwinkle Heenan, uh, Ray Stevens situation, I would have gone with the High Flyers. But uh, yeah, I actually can only talk about the High Flyers. I really can't refer to that other team, especially by their given names, uh, you know, been down that road once before. So yeah, you, you 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 can't keep you can't keep putting people out of business when you keep saying that, Mick. I know, I I, I get it. I, I I do. I'm sorry. You don't want to put something AWA out of business again, right? Oh no 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 no! Especially when we're on the verge of relaunching it, I guess. You know. Yeah, so. I mean that's yeah. word word on the street says so. Yeah. Uh, let, let's go to you, Mick. Let's move on. This is from Alex Sharber of New Mexico. Uh, oh. You've talked about you've talked about the animosity between Rod Trongard and Lord James Blears. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, and I got this. Uh, I never had the opportunity to work with Lord James Blears. Uh, you know, back in the day, you know, Englishman uh, Lord Blears 
uh, great technical wrestler uh, before he got into promoting and uh, also uh, the announcing end of it, lived in Hawaii for many, many years. There's Rod Trongard along with uh, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. I got this from Rod. Uh, if you listen to some of the old commentary where Rod is doing play-by-play and Lord James Blears is supposedly doing color, uh, Lord James had a tendency to talk right over Rod Trongard and start doing the play-by-play by himself much to the chagrin of Rod Trongard. And there's Lord James in his uh, wrestling days. It got so bad, and again, this is according to Rod, that at one point, and I believe it was during an angle between Jimmy Snuka and Colonel De Beers, uh, Lord James kind of took the bull by the horns and took so much of the commentary away from Rod that Rod pushed himself away from the announce table and just kind of sat there and didn't say anything. Uh, he was fuming, and uh, so that that was the that was the animosity. Um, you know, beyond that, I don't know. I know that Rod really did not care for Lord James players. So, if I could uh, just sort of add my two cents to it, uh, loved both of them. Uh, I worked well with both of them. Um, but I have to say that I understand where Lord James Blears was coming from. Um, Rod was a radio guy and radio announcing or broadcasting is different than television. Uh, and all you have to do as an example, yes. listen to, a, to a, a hockey game or a football game on the radio and then listen to it on television. You have the luxury on television of the, the, visual, the, the video and the visual complementing what you are saying. When you're on radio, you are explaining all of the details to the listener at home. And so Rod would have a tendency to still maintain that radio persona, that radio perspective when he would do play-by-play -play commentary. And so it's because of that, I understand where Lord James Blair's mm -hmm. was coming from. Um, but I, I don't mean to take that away from Rod, but Rod sometimes, um, much like I've been accused of, just didn't know when to shut up. Yeah, and it, it, it is hard from somebody that's done radio play-by-play -play and television play-by-play. -play. Um, I can tell from Rod's perspective, it is so hard when you are so used to having to describe every little action and when you're when you have to literally paint a picture with your words and you know the listeners have to use their imagination if you leave something out you feel like you're not giving them the full story so i, I can understand because it's it's hard to to completely scale back because you feel like even though you're letting the broadcast breathe it's hard to kind of not want to explain every little thing. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a fine line that I mean, I think that's why Joe, I think that's why there are people that very few can make that transition. I mean, did you ever get the sense that there were, you know, people that, that just could not, they couldn't kind of scale it back for TV because I mean, you were on the production side of it. Can you, t could you tell when somebody couldn't, you know, when, when they couldn't ride that fine line? Well, I mean, Rod was really the only one. We had other radio uh, people, um, Ralph Stranges, who ended up doing 
uh, some AWA stuff, but he was a hockey guy and uh, he had done radio and television. Ralph did a, a, a good job. Um, Larry Nelson was a DJ um, before he got into television. So it's possible to do it, but in Rod's case, he had done it for so long. Yeah. Uh, I, I really think that, um, and, and it's the two words that every radio producer um, n- never wants to hear or is fearful of, and that's dead air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on, t- on television, you can get by with some dead air. Yeah, on radio, not so much. And so I think um, there, there's no denying that that Rod and, and Blears, you know, had this. Um, but again, I'm, I'm defending Blears a little bit more because it was tried talking with Rod on more than one occasion. It's like, just take a breath. You're on TV. Yeah. You don't need to constantly be saying something or describing something. Uh, next question for both of you uh, from Dan Levine or uh, Levine, Dale. Uh, hopefully I'm going to get that right. Uh, who was easier to work with? Was it Medusa or Sherry Martell? Uh, Mick, why don't you go first? Um, you know, what's interesting. They were both in the AWA at the same time, but it was kind of apples and oranges in terms of their experience uh, in the wrestling business. Uh, when Medusa came to the AWA, she had not been in the business all that long. So there was a a certain uh, amount of green to her as far as getting her feet wet in the business, uh, not only in the ring, but also doing promos. So uh, Deuce, she wasn't standoffish, but she was, you know, she she was more quiet than you would have imagined, kind of taking it all in. Where Sherry, and I, I know, Joe, you would agree with this, she had been in the business for probably, you know, five, six years already when she came into the AWA. And, of course, putting her with Buddy Rose and Doug Summers, Sherry, to me, one of the greatest talkers and managers in the wrestling business. So Sherry certainly had her her pins underneath her. She knew what she was doing. Um, and because of that, you know, she had the – the wherewithal, the professionalism, just go in there and get the job done. Meduse, I think, was more like a, a watch and listen back, you know, at that point. But uh, I love working with both of them, you know, but both great, great ladies. I, Nick, I concur 100% with everything that you just said. Uh, Deuce was green, uh, which made her a little bit more nervous doing promos, and Sherry was just good. Uh, she... Uh, you, you, you put her in front of a camera and you, you just knew you're going to get a good promo. And she got better uh, as, uh, as time progressed. When she got to the WWF, uh, she had mastered uh, her mic skills. And that voice of hers um, was, was a voice fit for a heel. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, but, in, but in real life, sweetheart absolute sweetheart of a gal I, I i miss her first person that ever tried to rip me in the business mm. better go along with it too yeah uh here's uh another one for oh, go ahead joe sorry no go ahead next one oh you gonna say from uh chris swanson Vern was such a traditionalist but towards the end he was working with some of the true badass rebels in the business like Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody, 
Uh, what changes mind? Um, Joe, why don't you go ahead and take this one first, and then we'll transition to Mick. Uh, well, keep in mind that Stan Hansen um, had been in the AWA in the late 70s. And so it's not like Vern brought him uh, into the AWA for the first time and, 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 and broke his tradition of bringing people in. Um, for Brody, a oh, great picture. For, for Brody, um, I can only guess, but I believe that when Brody came in, uh, and not guessing when he came in, I know that he came in after Hogan uh, had left. Did he not, Mick? Yes. Okay, and so Brody was a huge badass. Up until Hulk Hogan, um, I mean, you had a big John Studd, uh, superstar Billy Graham, but everybody else was just sort of like average, average-sized guys. And so when Hogan left and Jesse left, I think Vern was trying to find, uh, in, in, in terms of Brody, somebody to replace not so much Hogan, but to replace Jesse, the body Ventura, who had also left for the WWF. And again, that's only my guess. I never had the conversation with Vern, but looking back um, on it and knowing other talent uh, during my time when I was with the AWA, uh, it was like a revolving door. Um, we had names come in left and right, and they might've been there for a taping or two, and then they'd be gone again. Um, so, it's not that Vern um, changed being a traditionalist. I, I think he was starting to just try to figure out what the heck can I do to try to combat the WWF. I think uh, I, I would differ only in the sense that Vern went from traditionalist to booking guys like Brody and Hanson and Abdullah the Butcher and Nord the Barbarian and the Mongolian Stomper and the Road Warriors. I think in that sense, I don't know if Greg got to him or if it was just a matter of looking at the landscape of the wrestling business, but the guys that Vern was bringing in were badasses and they were no-nonsense guys that wouldn't take any guff from any promoters. So in that sense, it was very surprising that Vern kind of allowed that to happen again i've mentioned this many times it's timing you know the whole business was changing and Vern kind of went with the uh the more fringe element of the business and in terms of brody and hansen that didn't always play out very well with him we know the story of you know stan hansen and the awa championship belt mm -hmm. and brody of course walked out on a couple of uh finishes right in the middle of a match here so Vern was dealing with some rebels, and uh, yeah, very very interesting time frame. All right, let's move on. The uh, next one. This is for you, Joe, from Mike Bauman of Tampa. Uh, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time was the late Dirty Dick Slater. Uh, do you know why his AWA run was so short lived? Uh, so sort of going back on uh, what I was talking about, Brody and Hanson, and, and the whole revolving door thing. Um, one of the, well, what kept the AWA alive, I would say from uh, 86 to uh, 
289 was that it had uh, AWA Championship Wrestling on ESPN. And talent, uh, many of them, Slater wasn't one of them, but many of them would tell me that uh, the reason that they're even in the AWA was because of the national exposure that ESPN gave them so that they could get another opportunity, hopefully with the WWF, since they were very quickly becoming the big boys. But you still had the uh, NWA. Uh, you still had world-class championship wrestling. Uh, you had some other organizations. And so why was uh, Dick here for uh, Dick Slater, not Dick Men? Chris, by the way, uh, but why why Slater uh, left so uh, what why why he left so early? Uh, I I don't have an exact answer for you other than my my guess would be that he came in, he did his shot, um, saw that things weren't going uh, that great, uh, the 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 small town bookings to help the guys make uh, the extra money, uh, they they were drying up. Uh, go from 20 plus um, events a month down to maybe 10. And it's like he could do that closer to home if he wanted to. So why why be on the road to do it? Again, it's just, that's my guess at the mm -hmm. time. But my gosh, the number of guys that came in for a shot or two at uh, the Showboat Hotel, um, I mean, countless. There was so many of them. You know, it's interesting about Dick Slater, too, uh, and great points, all of them, Joe. Uh, Dick was another one of those guys, like Bob Roop, down in Florida. Uh, Slater mentioned this to me. He said, Vern has offered an extended state. Why, why do I want to come up here and work in the wintertime? You know, I, I'm a southern guy. I live in Florida. The last thing I want to do is get an apartment in Minneapolis in the dead of winter. Um you know, he came in at the very same time as uh, Steve DeSalvo, who had worked in the AWA as Billy Jack Strong. You had that revolving door, as you said. And had Slater stayed, if you remember, Joe, they had kind of paired him, uh, but never really explained the pairing with Kurt Hennig. Uh, now, Kurt, uh, you know, history is history, went on to the WWF. But, man, what a combination of two absolute greats. What a tag team Dick Slater and Kurt Hennig would have made. But, again, you know, you're right. Dick in for a cup of coffee. He's in. He's gone, as did a lot of guys uh, back in the day, back in the 87-88 era. Yep. Agree. Hey, this one is for you, Mick, from Jerry Diamond. Uh, what was your feeling about the 2020 episode back in the 80s when a wrestler exposed the business and actually bladed on camera? Was there any fallout at live shows after that? I this like you know that's a good question because you know at that point when you start to learn something you're like, oh man, you know what's going on. So I mean, you know what, what say you when you saw that uh, exposure on TV? I mean, what did you what did you think? And yeah, what was the fallout? Well, first of all, I hated it. Um, Vince had kind of opened the door a little bit already into the inner workings of the business, you know, and with his sports entertainment and what have you. Uh, the two wrestlers that, uh, there's one of them, that's Eddie Mansfield. And uh, Eddie is actually seen there blading on camera uh, for 2020. 
Uh, he and another wrestler, a kind of a journeyman guy, no longer with us by the name of Jim Wilson, uh, had a beef with the promoter in the southern part of the United States and kind of expanded their frustration into going on 2020 and exposing the wrestling business up to and including uh, blading. And, you know, you remember that was the, the, the John Stossel, Dave Schultz, that whole era where all of a sudden it is really hitting mainstream. And for all the people who for many years had thought it was blood capsules and insisted on it or, you know, a package of Heinz ketchup in a guy's trunks or whatever they said, mm -hmm. boy, when they saw the blading, it was kind of stomach turning for some of them because they didn't believe that the guys would self-mutilate. Uh, as far as to the follow-up question, was there fallout? I just remember going to a show not long after that episode aired, and Jerry Blackwell was in a cage match. And Jerry kind of went over the top rope, so he's facing out. He's facing the ringsiders, and he's got he's between the cage and, and the, uh, the ring apron. And Jerry blatantly bladed. Uh, and he's facing the crowd. And this episode had just aired, so you had a couple of rows of ringsiders. Oh, people were looking for it then. They were looking for it, and they called them on it. And, man, I mean, they let Jerry have it. But in the long run, wrestling survived. Nobody gave a shit. Um, you know, it, it got into, of course, the PG era when uh, some of the WWE people were working for presidents of the United States in their cabinets. So there was no longer any blood on television, even in a cage match. But wrestling fans are quick to forgive and forget. And wrestling survived a lot bigger scandals than uh, than blading. But did I like it at the time? No, nope, I hated it. Even though kayfabe had been broken. Why are you selling your guys out? your brethren yeah. in the business over your grievance. Sour apples is what it sounds like to me. I, it, it's just like you said, Mick, I mean, why? You why? Know, what, it's like a magician who's not happy with the payoff, you know, exposing the secrets. of the And that's, and, you, and that's basically your career. I mean, you're yeah. cutting off your career because I mean, who, who can trust you after that? You know, what's interesting though, Chris, they booked the guy. Uh, Jim Wilson, not so much, really? but Mansfield, the Continental Lover, they called him. Okay, um, he got himself booked uh, for a lot of years after that. Which you know, it, it's amazing that nobody potatoed him, stiffed wow. him, whatever. But uh, again, wrestling fans, uh, short short memory span, I guess. And uh, there, there you have it. Yeah, I, I want to ask you a follow up on that, Joe. In terms of like directing and, and shooting something like that, hey, did you guys? know when somebody might blade and did you go out of your way to if you saw something to kind of avoid shooting it to give it away if you knew that something was happening uh so the answer to the second part is yes you you knew when you knew not to go in on a close-up of, of somebody whether they're outside of the uh, the ring or or in the, wherever wherever they were going to be blading he just didn't go into a close-up mm -hmm. because you knew. You knew what was uh, going on. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, in terms of the first part of the question, um, the only way that I knew, um, because, again, Vern kayfabed me throughout my entire career um, when the AWA was live. 
he kayfaped me every single interview day, every single shoot. Um, Vern might tell Mike Shields to make sure that Mike would get the shot in the truck when Mike was uh, still directing. Um, so we didn't know, but I knew because, well, when, 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 when guys would come out to the ring and they'd have their wrists taped with the white tape, mm-hmm. well, you knew, you knew it was going to happen. It's like, okay. okay, we're going to get some color on this match. You know, when, when nine times out of 10, they go to the ring, they don't have, they don't have their wrists taped. Um, well, all of a sudden they do. And then didn't take long after uh, a match or two after I first started. And there, well, there's a guy, he's got his wrists taped and there's color by the end of the match. So uh, it didn't take me long to put uh, two and two equals four together. Uh, Tommy Rich, I think, Joe, in the time that we were working in the AWA together, was a classic example of a guy who got color. Uh, oh, he got all, color all the time. I don't ever, I mean, Tommy, yeah, I mean, wildfire Tommy Rich, you knew just, well, yeah, I mean, oh, wow. You know, oh, and the, battle, boy. the Battle Royal. Uh, yes. The Free For All, uh, one of your Free favorite looks that I think I, I, I did in the 80s. Yep. Um, Tommy Rich was a bloody mess, but. Um, you know, you have to also keep in mind, why did the guys dye their hair blonde? Blonde. Well, <laughs> you get red mixed in there and it just accentuates and makes it more powerful that they are um, colored by the end of the match. And Bobby Heenan is the one that pops to mind. I mean, Bobby, Bobby was another legendary bleeder. Bobby Heenan, Ric Flair, again, with the with the platinum blonde. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, yeah, and, and good point about Vern kayfabing. But you know what? In production, you knew what you knew. Yeah, I, I mean, you knew you were smart enough to know when to get in for that shot. Vern mm-hmm. didn't have to tell you. You'd been around long enough to, to, to be smart. So, Well, it, it got to a point where the talent would come up to me prior to a match. When I... When I started directing, um, they would tell me ahead of time because Vern would stay, still kayfabe me. Vern kayfabe me when we revived the AWA uh, in uh, when they called me in uh, December of '99, and we revived the AWA library. Uh, we had the run through March of 2003 when we sold to the WWF. I want to say it was probably. Late 2001, late or early 2002, um, we're meeting Vern, Greg, myself, uh, Bob Grazinger, and uh, Todd Okerlund. Um, there was a five of us involved in uh, classic AWA wrestling. And Vern would be telling the story. He would look around to make sure nobody was listening, and he would tell a kayfabe story. But then he would look at me. He would look at Todd. He would look at Bobby Grazinger, who was an official. It's Greg Gagne's brother, uh, brother-in-law. He would look, and then it was like he's being very secretive. And I finally said, Vern, really? You don't need to kayfabe me anymore. I mean, you know, A, I've been around how long? And B, Vince already exposed the business about 10 years prior to this point. But Vern was old school. He tried to. That's the way he did things, and uh, in hindsight, I, I appreciate that. He, um, he, he tried to keep the mystique alive. Vern did, and so did Nick. Yes. Uh, you know, two, uh, 
two guys that were loyal to the bitter end to the business. Don't question. All right. And, and, uh, last one, um, for you, Mick from Bruce Anderson. Oh. Um, yeah. We're going to end on, uh, on one for Bruce here. Uh, Mick, what kind of violence or issues did you personally face with the fans? Um, I only ask as a guy who back in the day, I wanted to pummel you when I learned you were leading the Bachwinkle Brigade. Of course, I was 12 at the time, and uh, only because you are so, and he put caps, so uh, much older than me. So uh, I will uh, I will let you finish this. Again, I'm not being a dickman. I'm just reading the question as it's as it's Well, uh, first wrote of in. all, if it wasn't for my advanced age, I could have heard a little bit better what you said. But I think there's a picture going back to about 1982 or 83 of actually Bruce and I talking uh, about professional wrestling at the time. And then I'll address the violence. Have you uh, have you got that one there? Uh, um, um, let me see here. Um, that we had I, it. I, I believe this is it. There it is right there. Yeah, uh, that's an actual uh, paparazzi picture. Now, where Bruce gets the idea that I'm that much older than him, I have no idea. Uh, but that that was the actual picture. I, I think there's only 40, 50 years difference between Bruce and I. But anyway, to address the, the fan violence, yes, uh, back in the day, people believed. And I talked about little Ricky the midget, uh, you know, yelling across the, uh, the hall at the Minneapolis Auditorium, there's Bachwinkle's fan club president, you know, right after Nick hit a guy with a, you know, brass knucks or whatever. Uh, Milwaukee was terrible. Uh, if we went in there with Bachwinkle t-shirts on, which again, you know, smart move guy, uh, we got some real heat. Uh, 1971, Cambridge, Minnesota, AWA is doing a spot show. And uh, I had a Bachwinkle Brigade shirt on, as did a couple of my buddies. We were literally chased out of town by about six, seven guys in a pickup truck uh, because we had the Bachwinkle T-shirts on. And I remember saying to Nick, hey, you know what? They chased us out of Cambridge. Well, first, Nick, you know, kind of made an off-color comment. He said, isn't that where the, the state hospital is in Cambridge? And I said, yeah, they made that. Could be a connection there. But the other thing was, Nick said, ah, my boy, <laughs> get used to it. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, there was there was real heat there. People believed. It's a good thing I didn't have a Bobby Heenan as number one shirt. Uh, you know, I might not be here, but yeah, that's And thanks very much, Bruce, for pointing out the age difference, you S-O-B-U. Well, you are... You are grandfatherly compared to well hell even this crew Hello? Oh, yeah. do we have any shout outs or anything there Chris that we're doing this week or... um, I'm, what makes I you an authority by the way uh... I, I said it last time or a couple episodes ago I am not an authority on anything there's very few of those around but anyway uh, Chris what <laughs> okay uh what do we got going on i think we got sh you know what i think we got shout outs so yes, uh let's do it um joe i will let you go um 
This week, I'm going to give a shout out to a local Minnesota uh, wrestling league, uh, First Wrestling. Uh, and the shout out in particular goes to an event that they had at the Mall of America, the first one since the very first open or very first episode uh, of Nitro. Uh, it had been a long time and they pulled it off. Uh, I didn't attend. Uh, I've seen clips. Uh, I, I've uh, heard reports. I've seen everything. Uh, but the show was fantastic from every report that I have heard. And so uh, for, for keeping professional wrestling um, going, especially here in the Twin Cities, mm -hmm. I will give the shout out to uh, First Wrestling. But a little caveat, I want to give it to most of the indie leagues out there. You gotta love it. There's more than anything that I remember growing up with. Um, well, some people could say too many, but keep it alive. Keep it alive. Keep those childhood memories going, mm -hmm. and keep ringing that bell. I want to give a shout out to a good friend, and what a loyalist he is to the podcast. My friend Joe Rossi. Uh, out in the Chicago area. Joe does some ring announcing there, but even more so, he is an old school fan through and through. Always makes comments on our Facebook pages, uh, regular viewer uh, to our podcast, and as nice a guy as you're going to meet. So mm -hmm. hats off, Joe Rossi out in Chicago. And uh, I'm going to go with DJ Danielson, uh, ah! one of our followers on Twitter. Yep, yeah, you know DJ. Uh, oh, yeah. he, uh, he follows and, uh, I, I just, I think he's great. Like his conversation's great. His comments. And I, I just, I think he's, you know, he's a stand up guy. So, uh, DJ, uh, thanks for being a supporter and just thanks for being a straight up good individual. Uh, I appreciate that and everything that you do outside of the, uh, the wrestling world. So, um, uh, all right, guys. This was fun. Two weeks of uh, Q&A, and I think that these, these are really fun because, again, there's such a randomness with this that we, you know, we can kind of plan. Again, we've said this over the past year. I mean, we're, we've almost been doing this for a year, believe it or not, uh, but there's such a randomness with this that we kind of, we know where the answers might be, but at the end of the day, it's, it's this conversation that lends itself to stories that we may never have heard of before. And I think that's, what's so interesting. Uh, again, three guys talking wrestling, you know, re remembering it as we remember it, whether we yeah. were there in person or read it in the magazines or what have you, uh, you know, you can talk facts and figures all day long. We've said this before. You can go on Wikipedia but it's the backstage stuff. It's the interactions. It's the firsthand, uh, whether you're dealing with Vern or Nick or Bobby Heenan. Uh, we love what we're doing, and we love the fact that you uh, people love what we're doing. I agree. Thank you to all of you who are tuning in, watching, listening. Hit that button, follow us, subscribe, do it all. And yep. we will try to do our best to do it all to present you with AWA Unleashed. And you notice that Joe's been doing this for three weeks. He's already become a total shill. I love it. Like, he's he's begging just like we are. It's great. And uh, we want to beg you, like Joe said, subscribe to YouTube. 
uh, Pandora, Spotify, Apple. It's it's free just wherever you consume your podcast. Uh, Soda Stick, if you want some uh, AWA Unleashed swag, that's right, uh, right there. And uh, Mick's got it right there. Um, SodaStickCO.com. We're coming up on Christmas. Uh, you can get a personalized hoodie. It's black and white. You get your name inscribed uh, right in there. And, of course, the 7th Avenue Pizza as well. It's cold. You don't want to go outside. Don't want to have it delivered. Go get yourself some 7th Avenue Pizzas. Family's going to be happy. You're going to be happy. Sit back, have it, have your swag, eat your pizza, and watch the, uh, the uh, AWA Unleashed podcast and video stream. That being said, guys, it's been a great uh, couple of weeks with this. What are we doing? Ne- we don't know what we're doing next week, do we? Well, now we're we doing right up, right up on, the, on the Christmas holiday, though. I think maybe we should talk about uh, Christmas shows. You do Christmas the- shows? Okay. Sure. Sounds good to me. That sounds good to you, Joe? Works for me. Let's do it. All right. Giddy up. <laughs>